much that when, as you rose again to life, I thank you that you are living, and because you live, we also live. I thank you so much for the power that is found in your cross and in your resurrection, and that we get to live in that power. How marvelous, how wonderful. We love you so deeply, Jesus, for the incredible work that you have done. God, I thank you so much that the work of your cross is so is so deep and so wide. Thank you so much, Jesus. God, I thank you so much that um, your word says that by your stripes we are healed. Thank you, Jesus, for the healing power that comes in your work and in your, in your cross. Jesus, I want to lift up to you uh, Maria and her dad and just, Lord, you know his, his condition. You know that he is unwell and that he needs a, t- a miraculous healing touch from you. And so, Jesus, we pray in your name, in the powerful name of Jesus, that healing that comes through the cross, Lord, would you touch him right now? Lord, wherever he's at, Would you surround that family? Would you surround his body and touch him, Jesus? He needs you and needs your work. And would you do that right now in this moment? We believe in your powerful work, Jesus. And so we pray in that way. We pray for your miraculous healing power. Jesus, I thank you so much for the goodness that is found in you for the love that is found in you. And Jesus, I thank you for the good and love that we have been experiencing here. God, I pray that you would continue your work in our lives this this week. Would you continue to speak through Bill as he shares your heart? And would you continue to open up our hearts to hear what you have to say? Thank you, Jesus, for all the power that is within you. Thank you that there is no other. There is no one more powerful. There is no one more powerful than you. And you are our Savior. You are our God. And we, oh Lord, we take great comfort in that. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are. Your work on the cross. Thank you, Jesus. We love you so much. We pray this in your powerful name, Jesus. so much rejoice yesterday was awesome hey so good so I'm so excited for today I just had a moment that was amazing that was amazing Uh, so I want to start with a question again today Um, and, and the question is what do you really believe what do you really believe? Now, I don't know if you're like me, uh, but sometimes there's a disconnect between what I say I believe or what I want to believe and what I really believe. Let, let me give you an example. So I'll post on Instagram, God works all things together for good. But when I'm getting my teeth kicked in and life has been unfair and I have to face the reality of suffering if I'm honest, can we just be, we can be honest, right? There are times when I'm like, I want to believe you're really good, but this doesn't feel really good right now. I do not know how this is going to work out for good. Or we believe that God is our provider. 
And then we got to pay our school bill. I'm not saying you shouldn't go to the government. I'm just saying maybe you should go to God first. Right? There's sometimes a disconnect between what we say we believe, what we post, what we write on our mission statements on the wall. They're really nice. But what we actually believe, because here's what I've learned. What you really believe is actually revealed in your behavior. Okay? So you can say, hey, I love you. I love you. And every time I turn around, you're talking behind my back. Every time I let, you're miserable to me, you know, I left my socks on the floor by mistake and you tear a strip out of me. At some point, I know you say you love me, but man, your behavior kind of contradicts what you're saying. So I want to challenge you with this question. What do you really believe? And why is it that there's this disconnect sometimes between what we want to believe, because we want to believe some of these things, and why we don't? Um, When I had the privilege of being the Omega Challenge Director here, uh, we would do different things. I I know you still do them, and it's awesome. There's something about team building and being on a team and doing things together. And and so one year we went uh, rock climbing and spelunking, okay? I didn't know what spelunking was, but we were going to do it because it sounded fun. Anyway, so spelunking is caving. And so they took us and we did a whole bunch of team building exercises. And um, you, there's something you need to know about me uh, in order to understand this story. And I'm actually terrified of heights. Now, now my dad is here, and, and dad, I love you, but I'm going to kind of blame you for this one, okay? Here, uh, my dad had this little game with us when we were kids. He used to hang us by our ankles over the balcony. Now, dad... That is illegal now, okay? Just so you know, you'd be in prison today, but I love you. That's okay, because, no, I, he, it was fun, and, and I mostly trusted him. And, uh, but but, uh, but I, I had this, this, uh, this fear of heights, and so we, one of the things, we were going to climb this rock face, and sounds cool, right, except it's really high. And, uh, and so I was a little nervous, they could tell, and I wasn't sure about this, and, and, and the instructor said, it's okay, because I got you. And I, I looked at the carabiner, I'm like, um... That's got me? He's like, oh, yeah, no, I got you. You could fall. I'll catch you. No problem. And so uh, let's work on this little routine. I, if you are nervous about taking a step or taking another grab, just you, you, you yell, yell out, belay. I have no idea what that means, but that's what we yelled. Belay. And if I've got you, I'll yell, I'll yell back, belay on. Belay on. Okay, that's your signal. You can do it. And so, you know, I wanted to believe him. I really did. And, and so I tested him, right? About three feet up. I jumped off. I got you. He didn't catch me. Anyway, uh, I, he said, yeah, but you didn't say belay. So I wasn't ready. I'm like, well, what happens if I'm 30 feet up and you're not ready? But, but, but this idea that I had to trust in him. I had to believe in order to climb to places I couldn't get to on my own that he would catch me if I fell. This is where we find the words of Jesus. Again, we've been in this, anchored in this passage of Scripture, Luke chapter 10, verse 27. So if you have your Bible or your lightsaber, uh, you can pull it out uh, to Luke 10, 27, where, where we're reminded to love the Lord your God with all your heart. And, and so yesterday, we learned that you can't express what you haven't experienced. And so in order to, to love this world, you have to first receive God's love. You have to fully. And so we go on, though, and he says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. I'm going to talk about that tonight. Strength, I'm going to talk about Thursday. But today I want to talk about your mind. Now, the Greek word, I'm not going to try to say it 
Um, but the Greek word here means from side to side. It means completely, totally, no gaps, no disconnect. That, that to love God with your mind means that you give him every thought. And, and this is actually interesting, too, because it's the part of our, our, the reason, the source of reason. It, there's no emotion in this part of it. There's lots of emotion in the heart part. But in this part, it's reason and it's faith. That's why in 1 Peter 1.13, it says to prepare your mind for action. Here's what I've learned is a really helpful definition of faith for me. Faith isn't naive, wishful thinking. Like, I really hope, I'm sorry, I really hope the Toronto Maple Leafs win the Stanley Cup this year. You know, I think it might be wishful thinking. I just think it might be wishful thinking, but I really hope that they, they do. It's, but it's not that kind of thing. It's not like I hope something comes through. I'm not sure. It's uncertain. No, faith is actually action. Action. Rooted in your trust or confidence in someone or something. Let me say that again because it's, it's important. Faith is action. It's not just a slogan on a t-shirt somewhere. It's not something you post on your screensaver. Faith is action that is rooted in your trust or confidence in someone or something. So I had to have faith that when I yelled belay and I heard belay on, he meant it and he could do it. That's faith. So what do you believe when it comes to God? Do you really believe he works all things together for good? Do you really believe that he is healer, provider? What do you really believe? And this is where, again, we're going to find the story of Peter. So if you haven't caught on yet, we're going to anchor in Luke, and then we're going to tell the story of Peter because he's one of my favorite characters. And so I've got to set the context before we read this. And so Jesus has just fed the 5,000, which is pretty cool. Like, that, that's a pretty cool thing. And so the disciples are following Jesus, and the reason they're following him is because they believe he is the Messiah, and they think that this means that he is going to become a king, he's going to establish a kingdom like King David, and they're his best buds, so that means they're going to be princes in the kingdom. Like, let's just be honest, okay? I know none of you have any ulterior motives ever in your life, uh, but, but these guys might have had a little one. They're kind of thinking, hey, this is great. The closer we are to Jesus, the king of the universe, the more power, authority we're going to have. And for a bunch of fishermen from a hick town, that was pretty cool. And it's looking really good. Jesus is healing people. That's awesome, like that. You know, people love that. And they're there, they're, yeah, we're with him. Yeah, we're with him, you know. Uh, and, and then there comes this moment where Jesus is teaching and people are hanging on every word. That's cool. Um, but as he's teaching... And there's one time it's getting late and people are getting hungry. And, and I know, like, if I went past noon today, you'd start being distracted. You'd be thinking, like, Taco Tuesday was pretty awesome yesterday, right? So you'd be thinking about food, and that, that's where people are at. So, so I can just see they have to decide, okay, who's going to tell Jesus? You tell No, you tell him. No, you tell him. Like, who's going to interrupt him? And so they, you know, they assign someone. We don't know who. And they, they, tap, they tap him. And they go, um, sorry, Jesus. You're doing really good. Thumbs up. Yeah. Um, 
but we think everyone's kind of hungry, and so maybe maybe we should just take a break, like like a coffee break, uh, fifteen minutes time out, you know, just so people could get nourished and in their bodies, so they could engage in your mind again. And, and and I love Jesus' answer. He's like, okay, you feed them. <laughs> I love that. I, I love that that we love to dump our responsibility onto God. Well, we, we think that that God is supposed to do what He's actually asked us to do. We're going to learn about that more tonight as well. But So he goes, yeah, okay, do it. And they're like, uh, that's impossible. That's impossible. Here, here's what I've learned. That that's great. <laughs> God does his best work when it's impossible. Because he's the only one who can. Otherwise, we wouldn't call it impossible. And so have you ever faced an impossible situation? That's Great! Because that means you need God. And God shows up in impossible. I was going to use something cheesy like he is the I am in impossible. But I wasn't going to use that. Um, He makes all things possible. And so they find this little kid and he's got the lunch. You know the story. And he he multiplies. There's probably more than 5,000. Chances are, um, it depends on, on... who you read, but there's probably maybe even more like 20,000. They just maybe counted the men. And so it's just, it's pretty massive. It's pretty cool. And everyone's like, yeah, Jesus is the king. Yeah, we're going to follow him. And, and then there's a turn in the story, and we're going to read it, but I want you to pay attention to one word that's going to pop up a lot, and it's the word immediately. If you do mark your Bible, um, you, you can just mark that word immediately when we come across it. If you don't, um, don't worry about it. It's okay. So uh, here, here's what it says in Matthew 14, 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him onto the other side while he dismissed the crowd. So it's in Matthew 14, 22. Matthew 14, verse 22. It says, immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. So the other side of what? Um, Sea of Galilee, probably six miles. These guys are trained professionals. They know what they're doing. It should take a couple of hours, okay? You just need to know that. Um, and so this is not a big deal. They've done this all, they, they, they do this all the time. They are fishermen, right? Getting into a boat and sailing to another part is not a, pro- a problem. And so Jesus says, yeah, just go ahead and do that. And then in verse 23, he says, after he had uh, dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Again, that's the catalyst for change, just so you know. And whenever you see someone pray, that's the catalyst for change. And later that night, he was there alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves, because the wind was against it. I love that word, buffeted. Um, I don't know if you use that word. Uh, I've never heard anyone use that word. Uh, Excuse me, sir, you buffeted my car in the parking lot. Um, hey, you buffeted me when I was driving to the basket. We, we don't use that word. So this word buffeted means to literally be thrashed upon, crashing. It's chaos. And so we find this, the storm has risen, and the boat is being buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. And then in verse 25, it says, shortly before dawn. I, in another translation, it says that during the third watch of the night. So, um, if, if, you, if you were a Roman centurion, you would have understood that. The third watch of the night is somewhere between 3 and 6 in the morning. So if we're to do the math, he's dismissed them probably before the sun sets. Um, they're in the, the Middle East. Uh, it's probably around 6 o'clock at night. It could be up to 12 hours they've been fighting this storm. It's bad. 
This isn't a little squall. This isn't like, oh no, you know, it's, it's like I'm in a kayak and I might fall over. No, this is like, we are going to die. We are literally going to die. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in that place where it's like, I don't know if I can do this? I don't know if I can take this. This isn't what I planned for my life. This isn't the way it's supposed to be. I had my whole life mapped out, God. What what are you doing to me? And why aren't you here? Why aren't you with me? Why did you send me here to do this? And you left me, and here I am in this storm. I'm going to die. Well, maybe not physically, but emotionally, relationally. Why? And then it says, shortly after John, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. (laughs) I love that. I mean, that's crazy. I know you've read so many times you don't think about it, but just think about it. That's crazy. That's impossible. Why? Oh, because God works best in the impossible. (laughs) And so the disciples, they see him. Um, and they react like you and I would. They are terrified. And this is how Bill reads this part of the passage. It's a ghost! Because I think that's how you should read that. Um, in the original Greek. And, um, (laughs) they said, and they cried out in fear. So let's talk about fear for just a second. Um, recently, uh, psychologists and through neuroscience, we have discovered a lot about our brain. And our brain is really a fascinating thing. It, in your brain, there's different components and different parts, but there's an almond-sized part of your brain called the amygdala. And, and the amygdala is the part of your brain that initially reacts or, to sensory stimulus, okay? So when something good happens, the amygdala goes, Woohoo! That was awesome! Do that again! Right? So when you have lots of sugar, it's like, yeah! The amygdala loves that. It's also the part of your brain that when something bad happens right? Like you got bit by a dog when you were a child that says every time you see a dog, no, run away, run away. They bite. They're bad. So that's the amygdala part of your brain. And it's the part, first part of the brain that's engaged whenever you are introduced to something new or you have to revisit something from your past. It's why addiction is so hard to break. Because the challenge with the amygdala is it's not reasonable. The problem with the amygdala is it's just reactionary. And it only wants what it thinks is best. And it has no capacity to determine what is best. So Krispy Kreme donuts are not the best. But your amygdala thinks they're awesome. So every time you drive by Krispy Kreme and see the light, you're like, yeah, baby, you pull over. (laughs) And so things are triggered. So... When I was growing up, I happened to have a few snakes around in my house. I hate snakes because they bite and it hurts and you can die. So every time I see a snake, it doesn't matter. You say, oh, oh, it's been defanged. I don't care. Get that thing away from me. (laughs) Satan is a snake, right? It's like I I don't. (laughs) The amygdala goes have nothing to do with this. And so here's 
Here's the challenge with our brain, our mind. Is that if we let the amygdala rule the day, we live in fear. Because we've had a a bad past experience, and so your brain says, never do that again. You have a a present situation that seems impossible, and and, and that part of your brain says, this this is never going to work out, you're going to die. Or a future risk comes along an opportunity and you say, no, no, you, you tried something before. You, 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 you remember you loved before and you got your heart crushed, so never love again. Don't be stupid, the amygdala says. That was bad. You prayed. And God didn't answer it. Don't waste your time. Jesus walks on the water. And the amygdala goes, it's a ghost! See, your mind is a battlefield. That's why in 2 Corinthians 10, 3 and 4, it says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. Long before we knew about the amygdala, and long before we knew about how the brain worked, God showed Paul how it worked. That's the coolest thing about the Bible. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. This word stronghold is a fascinating word. It's, um, it, it can mean like a, a fortress. And, and now, if you know anything about fortresses, they can serve two purposes. If you know anything about the French Revolution, um, the French Revolution took place um, at the Bastille. That was kind of like the turning point or the, the declaration, the beginning of the revolution. And the Bastille initially was designed to defend France against its invading enemies. But because of the king's corruption, anyone who disagreed with the king became a political prisoner and they were thrown into the Bastille. What had meant to protect was now a prison. And the Bible gives us this image that every thought is like a brick. And those thoughts are either building a prison to trap you or a fort to protect you. Every thought, every thought, every encounter you have is either building a fort to protect you or a dungeon to enslave you. And so in this moment, they are confronted with this thought. And that's why Paul goes on to say, therefore we demolish every thought, every idea that sets itself up against God. Anything that does not resonate with who God is, His character, His nature, we reject, we put aside. Because those are prison thoughts. Instead, we root our trust, our ideas in the character of God, for that is our source of protection. And as Craig Rochelle says, I love him, your life is always moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. So there's another part of your brain, it's called the frontal cortex. That's the good part of your brain. That's the part of your brain you actually need to engage while you're here. Yes, we want you to have experiences, that's awesome. And we want you to remember those things, but... The frontal cortex is the reasoning part of your brain. It's it's the brain that is tested through experience. And here's what happens. Every time you have a thought, a pathway is created. We call it a neural pathway. And the more you think about a certain thing, the stronger that pathway becomes. So one day it becomes a super highway. So let's say you start believing you're a failure. And 
So every time you fail, it goes, see, you're a failure. And then what happens is that pathway creates, so, so now you get a little tense when you start to write an exam and, and you prove it right. Because it's become a super highway. You filter every thought, every idea through this concept that I'm a failure. Someone says, I love you and you don't believe them because you're a failure. Someone says, God's going to do something great in your life and you don't believe them because you believe you're a failure. Because you've created a prison, a neural pathway that every thought is filtered through. And so you can't see good. It's why there's some people who see a sun, sun rising and go, man, it's going to be too hot today. And there's others who say, that is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life. How could two people see the same thing and have two different reactions? It's because of the neural pathways that have been formed in their brain. And so in this context, the disciples have learned that you don't walk on water. You just don't do that. The disciples have learned that Jesus, we're not sure we can trust him. When he does good things, they're there. When, they, when he doesn't, they, they question. And when he's not looking, they fight about who's the best. And so Jesus sees them, and he's going to give them a new thought. And it's a thought that will change everything for you if you can believe it. He says, in verse 27 of Matthew 14, But Jesus immediately there's that word again, said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Can I just tell you that there are going to be times when you're afraid. And it's not the fear that's the problem. It's when you let the fear form a prison. As a matter of fact, fear can actually be a catalyst for faith. The question I have learned and struggled with and wrestled with all my life is in every situation, do I have fear or faith? Someone comes and complains that the worship is too loud at my church. Oh, you're right. I'm so sorry. Yeah, well, well, no, no, you're right. You know, I'm, I'm, I, fear or faith? Hey, here's why we do it. Because look, look at all the people who've come and look at the, the young people who are here and engaged in fear or faith. Fear of faith when it comes to your finances, your relationships. It's the question that you're forced to ask, especially in the storm. <laughs> and then I love Peter. He's my favorite because he doesn't think before he speaks. And I get that. I do that all the time. I'm like, I, I, didn't, I did not mean that. I, uh, that did not come out right. But here's Peter. He's like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, if it's you. You know, he's thinking of something impossible to say. You know, oh yeah, well, if it's really you that asked me to come out and walk on the water. He's thinking there, gotcha. And Jesus says, okay, yeah, come on out. (laughs) See, (laughs) God's not going to let you off the hook. God's going to ask you, what do you really believe? If you really believe that God loves everybody, then why do you harbor prejudice and hatred in your heart? If you believe God forgives, then why are you still walking around in guilt and shame? And why haven't you forgiven that person who hurt you? If you really believe that all things are possible, then why do you live in so much fear? So, 
<laughs> Jesus says, come. And I love this part. He does. It's so great. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. I mean, come on. Like, don't you read that and go, that was cool. Like, I'd like, I'd kind of like, I'd kind of like to do that. I mean, I, I know that's not the right way to read that, but that's what I think. I think that would be awesome. Uh, but then, uh-huh. when he saw the wind, he was afraid. Well, you know, I mean, let's, let's be honest. I mean, he has a little bit of right to be afraid. It's a storm, remember? Like, so he's not just getting out of calm water. I mean, this boat is rocking, and I can just see Jesus going, okay, come on, Peter. And he gets up, and the other disciples are going, what are you doing? Peter, sit down. You're going to embarrass yourself again. You keep doing this. When are you going to learn? Stop listening to your amygdala. And he's like, no, I'm not. I think, I think I'm listening to faith right now. And so he gets over the boat. He's like, wah! You know, he steps over. He's a fisherman, and they don't swim. Think about that. That's an occupational hazard. If you're a fisherman, I just think, just, just me thinking out loud, you should learn to swim. But they don't. And he, so he, he gets over the boat, and he's like walking, and he's doing great. It's like, woo! You know, this is, this is pretty cool. And then he doesn't look at Jesus for a second, and he's like, hmm, wait, wait a minute. This is liquid, not solid. <laughs> Long before they taught that in science. He just knew this is liquid, not solid. And you can't stand on solid. The molecules aren't close enough together. They're not compact to hold my weight up. I'm going to sink. And he sinks. Ah, we've been there before, haven't we? We we said, yeah, God, I'm going to take a step of faith and I'm going to go to Bible school because I feel you've called me. And then a month in, we get homesick and we don't feel very good and our roommate's a pain and not, not any of you have that problem. Um, and we're like, oh, I don't know. Money isn't there. We question ourselves. We, we look at the other spiritual giants around us, and we think, man, I, I, I'm not like them. Maybe you made a mistake, God. You made a mistake. We look at the storm, and we sink. Or something happens in our life that pulls the rug out from underneath of us. And we sink. They break up with us, and we thought we were going to marry them. I thought I was going to get that internship, and some other guy got it, and that guy doesn't even love Jesus, right? Why? And so he sinks. But, but, but I, love, I love Peter, because he has faith. He has faith. You see, you see, I think we read this story all wrong. I think we read this story, and we think Peter's the failure. He's not. He got out of the boat. There's 11 other dudes who hear Jesus too, and they're like, no, 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 no. That is crazy. I am not doing that. Amygdala won the day. But Peter, he gets out of the boat, and and he actually believes Jesus can save him. So so don't be be disrespecting Peter here. He, He is being loved by God, and he says, God, save me, Lord, save me, and... Immediately, there it is again, 31. Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith. Why did you doubt? Here, here, I think we think this is a rebuke, and maybe there's a part of it. But I actually think it's an encouragement. Peter, you know I got you. Come on, Peter, you know, you know I was here. Why, why did you doubt me? I've always had your back. 
I've always been there for you. And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped God, worshipped him saying, truly you are the son of God. You see, it took Peter's faith to inspire their faith. So are you being driven by fear or by faith? Because just like we learned yesterday, you can't express what you haven't experienced. We also have learned that obedience must trump convenience. And what I mean by that is the easy way. So how can you overcome fear? Let me just give you three thoughts. The first is you got to get out of the boat. Here's what you need to understand. Ministry is not a job. And it's not an activity. It is not something you do. It is simply a daily decision to follow Jesus wherever he leads you. And you're always one decision away from a totally different life. You're always one decision away from a totally different life for fear or for faith. So you need to get out of the boat. You know, it's funny. I, was, I think about this, and this is the way my mind works. I, I, I really try to throw myself into, this, into the story, into the characters. And, and so, so I don't know if this is accurate because it could be heresy and, and okay, whatever. Um, but, but, but I just imagine if Peter, if Peter, Peter, you know, has other friends or maybe even children, we don't know. But imagine him going, hey, you know what? This one day, I walked on water, man. It was awesome. And I thank you. Yeah, I know, but, but Jesus caught me. What do we call that? A testimony. A testimony. And again, I'm sorry, my cheesy cliche. You don't get a testimony without the test. <laughs> you don't pass the exam if you don't write it. I tried that once. It didn't work. Uh, And so you got to stay focused on Jesus. My dad is here, so I love this. This is one of my favorite stories, and I tell it all the time. And so if you've heard it before, I'm, I'm sorry you're going to hear it again. But, but um, we, we grew up in Thailand, and, and so, so my dad modeled for me at a very early age what it was like to have faith, um, to have incredible courage. you got to remember that when we, went to, um, when we went to Thailand, it was right in the air, time of the Vietnam War. And Thailand's pretty close to Vietnam. Just look at a map. And so we were little kids. I mean, I... I was uh, four, Shri was two, and, and, so, and so dad says, comes home one day, and he says, hey, to my mom, we're going to Thailand. I love this part of the story. She says, I'll help you pack. And, um, but, but God got a hold of her, too, in faith, and we went. And so we had, the, I had an amazing upbringing. I, I didn't always appreciate it. When I was a teenager, um, I didn't appreciate it at all. But, but looking back, it was so rich and rewarding because I got to see God do so many amazing things through my parents and through the situation I was in. This, but there's this one story that, that really seals this for me. We, we were in another part of the country, and it's still debated exactly where we were. It doesn't matter. Uh, but it was in Asia. And uh, we were going to do something fairly simple. We were going to cross a street. Now, if you've not been to Asia, uh, you need to know that it's just a little bit different here. Okay? Like, you know, you know here when we, we put up, like, these signs, and they have these numbers on them. 
And those numbers are indicating how fast you're allowed to go, right? We have those signs. And, and, and we have, like, white dotted lines on, on the road, and that indicates, you know, don't drive on that, this side of the white dotted line. We even have, like, vehicle assist now to make sure that we stay in the lane. And, um, and, and we don't, we, you know, if, if we're a motorcycle, we just kind of stay in our part, right? We share. We, we're nice. We move over. Well, not so much in Asia, especially back then. <laughs> if there was space to drive, you took it. I mean, if it's on the sidewalk, people, people just better move because you're driving there. If, if there's room for four cars in a two-lane highway, you just do four cars. I, I can remember uh, driving uh, up north to Thailand, and there was a taxi, and there wasn't enough room in the taxi for everybody, so they opened up the back doors, they took a, a board, they put it on, on the outside, and people on the outside of the board were, were hanging on the roll-down windows open door outside the taxi, driving down the road. I remember seeing someone on a scooter, a family of six, on a scooter. Not an exaggeration. Maybe. Ah, so, so traffic rules are, are totally different. I, one, of my, one of my favorite parts of, of driving home was there was this one guy on, I, I don't know if it was going to the church or going home, uh, but his job was to try to stop the traffic when the train was coming. <laughs> and, he, and, and he had this little red flag and a gate on wheels. That was all he was armed with, baby. And there are people coming. He's like, ah, he was a praying man. Anyway, so... Um, so it was a bit crazy. So we, we were in this part of Asia, and uh, we're going to cross the street. And I think I'm about eight. My, my dad can correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I think I'm about eight. And so we're going to cross the road, and my dad does what he has always done his entire life. He reaches down his hand. Now, now when you see my dad stand up, um, he's, he's big. He's tall. And, and so you can't miss my dad. And his hands... Man, if you want to feel soft hands, you just squeeze my dad's hand. They are soft. They are lovely. They are big and voluptuous. Anyway, so, um, so, so you can't miss them, right? So this big, wonderful, warm hand reaches out for mine like it always had. But, 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 but for the first time in my life, I was offended. I was like, hey, do you know that I am now eight years old? I have stubble on my legs. I am practically a man. How dare you humiliate me in front of all of these people? Because they really are looking at me right. Uh, humiliate me by making me think I have to hold your hand. I am not holding your hand. Now, that wasn't a verbal discussion. It was more of an inner dialogue. But I had that. And, and he reached out his hand. And I was like, no, nope, I am not moving. I am not moving. I'm not moving. And he looks down at me and he's like, all right. Um, okay. Uh, so... Uh, when we walked across the street, you know, there, there's, there's a, lot, a lot of people around us. He said, okay, listen, just, just watch my feet. Please, just stay close to me. I'm like, I can do that. That's easy, right? Get in a boat and sail. Who do you think I am? So, so we start crossing the road, and, we're, and I'm doing great. You know, I'm watching. I'm staying close, you know, and, and we're moving along with all these people. And about halfway across the street, maybe even sooner than that, I realized something. I'm free! I am free! I have no one to be dependent on. I'm all by myself. And I start looking around, looking at other kids holding their parents' hands, having a great time. Ha ha, look at me, I'm amazing. And in that moment, I just maybe have lost a little bit of focus. Just a, just a titch. And um, when I kind of came back to my senses, I don't know how it happened, but I, I looked for my dad's feet and, and they weren't there. And actually, I looked, and there was no feet around. 
And I was in the middle of the road. Hmm. And traffic was coming. Now, in, in Asia, the motorcycles weave in and out of traffic so they can be the front. And they just, like, take off. As soon as that light changes, they are gone. And so this motorcycle was coming right for me. And now I want to give him the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt that he was trying not to hit me, okay? Let's just, let's just give him that. Uh, but I, was, I knew I was in trouble, so I'm dancing back and forth, and he's getting closer, and I'm not sure if he's trying to hit me or miss me or what, but he hit me great. I mean, he hit me hard. And I went flying across the road. And I'm, I'm you know... I'm stunned. I'm in shock a little bit. I don't know exactly what happened. It hurts. I know that. The amygdala is going, don't ever do that again. (laughs) And then I feel a presence. Remember I talked yesterday about the overshadowing presence. I learned that from my dad. (laughs) And I knew, oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Like, it was bad already, but now I'm going to get a whooping, right? I just that, That's the first thing that goes through my head. Like, I'm going to get this. And, 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 and I'm, I'm expecting and I'm bracing for it. And my dad really doesn't say a whole lot. He just picks me up. Because there's chaos and confusion. I mean, people are yelling, screaming, what's going on? Trying to catch the guy. It's, it's, it's a bit crazy. And he, and he puts me on the side of the road and he said, are you Okay. I said, I think so. And that was it. You see, the lesson of the story is that I should have trusted my dad. I should have put faith in the hands that had never dropped me. At least maybe, did you drop me once? Maybe that's why I'm the way I'm. I just, no, I don't think, I don't think he ever did. I think it was my mom. Anyway, so, um, Isn't it great that they're here? I can just, I just, I'm having so much fun. This is payback for all those years. Okay, this, um, where I was the sermon illustration. Um, so I should, have, I should have trusted those hands, but I didn't. And it was funny because I could have said, Dad, you failed me. Dad, you let me down. You should have forced me to take your hand. You should have carried me across. Dad, why did you do this to me? He didn't do it to me. He gave me every opportunity. I just chose not to believe. I believed I could do it by myself. And I think in this story we see that um, the disciples believe they could do it by themselves. And they can't. And so 2 Corinthians 10.5, finishing this idea around the brain and the way that it works... It says, we, so how do we respond to this? We demolish every argument and every pretension that sets itself up against what? The knowledge of God. This isn't just head knowledge about God. It's knowledge built in experience. It's proven. It is tested. That's why the stories of the Bible are so critical and so important. If it happened to them, it can happen for you. That's the point. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. So what thought do you need to make obedient to Christ today? Because maybe you're facing a situation where you have to take a big step. And you're not sure if you can do it. You're not sure if you're strong enough. You're not sure if you're smart enough. You're not sure if you have what it takes. And today you just need to hear God's voice. But lay on! 
Oh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I can do this. Belay on! It's too hard. Belay on. I gotcha. You can trust me. For the hands that held up the universe, created the universe, holds all things together, are the same hands that were stretched out on a cross and nailed to that cross so you could never say, God, you don't know what it's like to suffer. You don't know what it's like to be rejected. God, you don't know what it's like to be in the storm. Oh no, he could say, my son, my daughter, yes, I do. These hands that are holding you have felt everything you feel. My best friends betrayed me. People didn't understand why I'd been, why I'd come, and they tried to kill me. But that's when I do my best work. <laughs> they tried to put me in a grave. They thought it was over. They thought it was done. The dream was dead. But you can't hold me down because I am not limited by anything in this world. And so do you believe? I don't know what you're going through today. I know that some are going through a really hard time. Sorry about your dad, Maria. I'm just going to believe it's going to be okay. I believe that. Some of you are facing a deep darkness that nobody else knows about, and you feel like you're all alone. You feel like nobody understands, nobody cares. Some of you don't think you're going to make it. You start to doubt your faith. You're not sure you believe what you, what you thought you believed. You, you're being shaken to the core. Something's happening back home. Something's happening right now. You're afraid of your future. Can I just encourage you that on the cross, Jesus stretched out one hand into the past and said, I was there. And he stretched another hand out into the future. And he said, I'll be there. So let me just be present right now. Blay on. I know you're scared. I know you don't think it's going to happen, but play on. Believe. Because I've got you. So can we just all bow our head, our heads for a moment? And and and, and again, I, I know we do this often, and I know that sometimes it could be just another thing we do, but I actually think there's gonna be power in it. And so I, I just really want you to respect this moment. And if you are here today, and in any situation in your life, you'd say, I need to believe. I'm having a really hard time. I just need to believe. And it's not, it's not just in my head. I need to believe. I know, I know I need to act on this belief. If you are here today and you know there's something you need to do, you need to get out of the boat. There's something that's been holding you back, pinning you down, keeping you resistant. You sit in the back. You refuse to worship. You, you can't press in anymore. You've disengaged from, from God and from others. And you know you need to get back to step out on the water, to believe that Jesus is there and he will catch you if you fall. You may fall, but hey, it's pretty cool to be caught by Jesus. 
Or maybe you're here and you feel like you're sinking. Like Peter, you just want to cry out, Lord, save me, please. Please, I don't, I don't know how to do this. I don't. Lord, save me. If that's you today, wherever you are, just I want you just to raise your hand as an act of faith and saying, yeah, that's me. Yep, yep, I'm making the choice right now to believe. I, everything around me says I shouldn't believe. Everything around me says I shouldn't trust this, but I'm going to. I am just choosing right now. I'm moving past my fear, the amygdala, into the frontal cortex of faith. I'm going to believe that the God who has held me, created me, has everything in uh, that is good for me. I'm just going to believe that right now. And for some of you, actually raising your hand is going to be the hardest thing you've ever done because it actually feels like 5,000 pounds because everything inside of you is saying, this isn't for you. It's for somebody else. It's not possible, but you need to resist that. You need to get out of the boat. You need to raise that hand as an act of defiance against the storm. I'm going to believe the Savior, not the storm. I'm going to believe in the one who created the waves. And so today we raise our hand just as an act of defiance against unbelief, doubt, and fear. We're like that father who brought his child, tormented by an evil spirit, and Jesus said, do you believe? And he said, I, I, I do, but help my unbelief. I want to believe fully, but there's parts of this that just are really hard, and so I'm just going to put my belief in you. I'm going to trust you. So God, I just pray that healing would flow into this place. That today courage would come into this place for people to step out of the boat. That confidence would come. That even if we're sinking, God, you are going to save us. You are our deliverer. Even if I don't see it right now, even if it doesn't make sense, you're going to save me. And God, I'm just going to believe that through this experience, you are going to give me a testimony that I will be able to declare to others, you are the Son of God. See what God has done for me. And so I refuse to give in to fear in this test. Instead, I'm going to put my faith in you for a testimony. And so I ask God that you would do what only you can do. And the greatest thing you've done this for me so many times is you show up when it seems impossible. You are the I am that makes it possible. It's true. And so we believe in you. Amen. Amen. Tonight, I want you to, to come expecting. Here, here's what I've learned about reading the stories of Jesus. It was those who pushed through the crowd and reached out to touch the hem of his garment. It was those who had friends who brought them with expectation that Jesus was going to do something. It was the blind man who couldn't see but said, Jesus, son of David, over here, <laughs> over here. It's those who came with expectation that moved the heart of God. And so tonight, I want you to come with expectation. I don't know what God's going to do, but he's already set a table for you. You just get to come and eat. So whatever you need to do to come expecting, I believe God's going to do something great tonight. And so I bless you. I bless you with the truth that yes, life isn't always fair. And yes, this isn't the way it was supposed to be. But I bless you with the truth that there is a God who is not sitting on his hands idly in heaven. There is a God who is actively working to make all things new. And that's for you. I bless you in the name of the Father, the Son.
the Holy Spirit. Amen.